Erin, I'm feeling so invigorated today. I'm actually dressed for, I don't know if you can see me, but I'm actually dressed for the first time in what feels like a year. You look great. Um, Who are you wearing? (laughs) I'm actually wearing something that came from a friend who was in India, so I don't know who the designer is, but it is very on brand for me to have it be from another place. I just feel like the sun is out, spring is finally here, people are starting to get excited about the world opening up safely, vaccine appointments are on the horizon. I'm just like ready to take on the world and be a real human again. It's also fun. I I did do spring cleaning. I went through my closet and I was like, haven't worn this, haven't worn this. Do I still fit in this? Haven't worn this. And I am, yeah, I'm really excited to get dressed again. I'm not as dressed as you are today, although I am wearing a Maria Shanley sustainable something shirt, I which makes me happy. Um, but yeah, I, I want like, I want color. I want to be like, back and celebrating tactile things and color patterns all the things I also hope that I keep some of my consumption habits from the pandemic which basically weren't consuming at all because where did I have to go so I didn't buy anything in this last year but I hope that I remember that as I get caught up in once I'm able to do things again in person not just buying things because they're cute or trendy or you know making impulse decisions but really being thoughtful about what I'm bringing into my wardrobe because I've done about 10 spring cleanings in the last year and somehow I still can't fit anything in my closet which I think is a clear sign that I do not have room for anything else wait can we talk about our fashion serendipity of Busayo I yes okay so there is this brand for everyone who does not know Busayo. Um, it is just like beautiful, colorful garments that are made in Nigeria. And I've been following this designer who makes stuff for men and women. And I called because I was like, this is going to be the one thing I buy. It's an independent designer. It looks cool. It's like everything I want for post-pandemic walking down the street life. And I called customer service and she's like, Busayo. I had no idea that she would actually answer. We ended up having a conversation. Turns out she's a lawyer for the city, does economic development work, and that's her nine to five. But meanwhile, created this insane line that Lupita Nyong'o and Madonna are wearing. And she told me that she makes everything in Nigeria where she's from. Um, Saks just picked it up. Shop Up just picked it up. And so she's like blowing up, but you know, it's a side hustle. And I just thought that that was the coolest thing. And I'm very excited to drop an amount of money on a garment that I know is going to her brand. I don't know. It was just like so fun. We're suckers for a story. So we love to hear and then to have access to the person who's actually, you know, creating the brand that we've been following religiously on Instagram for the last many months as we dream of what we're going to wear when we actually get invited to do something in real life again. It just felt, it felt like a moment for us. I'm Melody Serafino. And I'm Erin Holweiss. And we're the co-founders of Number 29, a media relations agency that focuses on sustainability, design, and advancing social change. This is the Enough Podcast. We're here because we've had enough of mindless consumptive behavior and big box brands that aren't designed to last. Because we have more than enough artisans and independent designers who make quality pieces that stand the test of time. Speaking 
Speaking of designers we obsessively follow and have just so long admired, you got to speak with someone who, yeah, I'm totally in adoration of. Yeah, so I had the pleasure of interviewing Maria Cornejo of Zero Maria Cornejo, and Erin and I have been following her collection for years. She really, truly is a pioneer when it comes to sustainable fashion. She is such a lovely person to talk to and has such great perspective, having been in the industry for the last many years and really at the forefront of sustainability because it just was part of how she grew up it was part of you know her value system she she was doing this long before anybody was talking about doing it and um it was just really great to to have that conversation with someone who we've admired for so long yeah i feel like she owns this stunning elegant and joyful aesthetic that is so clearly her own but that totally redefines sustainable fashion. And I guess, I don't know what the moment was when she was like really put on the map for people, but certainly Michelle Obama wearing her collection, uh, Christy Turlington, just some incredible women who we also admire. But I, I am so excited to hear this conversation. And she makes clothes that last a lifetime for people, that mm. last throughout the ages. I mean, she really is creating something that is going to be with you as a piece in your closet for a long time. It's not about adhering to a trend. It's not about being of the moment. It's just about creating beautiful garments that we can use, you know, for lots of different purposes in our lives and that make us feel great. I think one of the cool things that Maria mentioned in the interview, which you'll all hear, is when she's designing clothes, she is thinking for the long term and she's thinking about what will end up being vintage for, for somebody someday. She's hoping that people will keep these pieces in their wardrobes for a lifetime, pass them down to other people, and ultimately be those vintage pieces that we all come to love and appreciate. That's such a cool perspective. I've never thought about a designer thinking to themselves like, is this going to be a coveted vintage piece in the future? Or like, how do I make something that they're going to go into these vintage stores that we go into now and you'll be able to unearth what is new in this moment, but is something that has just stood the test of time in 20, 30, 50 years. I was always interested in fashion because I had a very stylish aunt when I was a kid and my mother too. And um, my grandmother always knitted and my aunts, you know, it was the 60s, late 60s. So I remember them getting dresses made and my mother having matching outfits made for us. Um, a seamstress would make her things. So I was always fascinated. And, you know, my grandmother taught me how to knit on giant construction nails when I was seven. So I started making clothes like everybody for my doll, knitwear and, you know, little outfits. And then when I left Chile with my parents as a political refugee and with my siblings, um, I ended up in Peru and then in England. And due to my lack of confidence, you know, I arrived in England when I was 12. I couldn't speak any English. So when it came to choose my finals, you know, in, in England, you have to choose your your sort of area of study, which would be either the arts or sciences. I picked art because it felt easier for me. 
So that's how it started. And then I went to art school. It's so interesting to hear. I, I actually have memories of when I was younger, too. Um, you know, in the 80s, when my mom would take my cousins and me to go get dresses made, matching dresses made. Yes. It was like the once a year thing that you did. It was my grandmother's friend from the neighborhood. And she made us these beautiful matching dresses that now I look at pictures of and I'm like, I can't believe I wore that. Um, yes. But, you know, it was like the thing that you did and you kind of looked forward to it. And I think there was just such an appreciation for how clothes were made. And it was like, it was sort of this moment where you would go and you would do your sort of like back to school shopping. It wasn't that you were buying things every week. It was you had these particular moments in time where you would go and buy the things that you needed. And anything outside of that time was sort of just like special and extra. But it was like these moments that I clearly remember. It was like, we are now going to buy the things we need for this season. Um, It wasn't just like, I think now we all sort of like shop throughout the course of the year and it's become... You know, there's so many different seasons for things. But, you know, I always think of you as a sustainable fashion pioneer. You know, long before it was trendy or cool to talk about sustainability, you were thinking and doing something about it. I'm curious how you define sustainable fashion and what that term means to you. Um, I mean, for me, I started doing this when I first opened the store because, um, you know, having at the time my son was eight months old, and my daughter was six years old. And realizing that, you know, what were we leaving behind for our children, became very conscious of that. And also traveling around the world and working for big companies, I realized there was so much waste and money and materials. And, you know, that wasn't right. And just didn't sit well with me. So I wanted to make something that was totally made in place at the atelier, produced there, using upcycle fabrics and um, and figuring out new ways of cutting, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And to me, sustainability is not just about eco-fabrics, it's also about the human component. It's about, there's so many different areas of sustainability, you know, it's, it's, it's not just simply materials, it's the human, it's the social, it's um, community, it's... Um, you know, water is also respect for the environment. There's so many different layers to it. Yeah, I love that. And I think it, I think it is really critical to think about sustainability more holistically. Uh, you know, it's one of those words that's sort of been co-opted over the years. And I think most immediately people think about the materials because that is the most tangible thing that someone can see, touch, feel. But, you know, when I think of sustainability, and it sounds like when you think of sustainability, you're thinking of that entire supply chain. So who is making it, how they're making it, where they're making it, how they're being paid to make that garment, um, you know, what is the impact of the process on the environment, not just the textiles themselves. And a lot of your designs are locally produced. I mean, you're looking to make things that last. I think that's another important piece of this. It's not just about putting sustainable materials into something, but ensuring that, you know, these things are going to last for a long time so that we're not having to buy new things all of the time. Are there any concessions that a brand has to make in order to make their clothing more sustainable? Um, Or do you think that sustainable fashion does in fact make a better product? It's an ongoing process. It's not something that we sort of take for granted. I always say to my little team, let's get creative with less. And it is a challenge because sometimes to 
make something interesting with just you using one material. There's no bells and whistles, there's no appliques, there's no glitter, you know what I mean? To try and also create desire. And you're competing in a market, a designer market, which is saturated with bells and whistles and, you know, a lot of stuff that, you know, you don't really need. So we're trying always to sort of simplify the garment, make it about being flattering, make it about flattering the woman, making it about feeling good. Um, also for me, being a woman, and I just want to make women feel good about their bodies, you know, and feel sensual and not feel like they're restricted. I mean, if if anything, in the last year, we've all been craving comfort, right? So I think that this is this is the moment to to really kind of lean into that that sort of attire that makes you feel good, but also just feels good to wear. Um, yeah, and I think you know, people have this notion of comfort. I mean, like people say, "Oh, comfortable." It doesn't mean to, it has to be ugly or, or granola to be sustainable. It could still be sensual. You it could still feel good about yourself. It doesn't, you know. I think there's this whole guilt trip associated to sustainability it's not about that first and foremost we have to create products that are desirable but in a good way so you you're shopping mindfully you know and I think that's the battle I think that's such a, an important distinction to make because I think for a long time sustainable fashion was thought of as that sort of crunchy granola you know linens and you know kind of just like a sack that you were wearing but the truth is is that there's so much beautiful sustainable design that's happening across industry right now and I think that those are some of the most exciting things to witness is to show that there is a really strong intersection between something that can make you feel sexy and comfortable and sensual but also be better for the the environment and be a better you know consumer choice to make for me it's about designing also like timeless garments that will have I always hope they'll make good vintage and they will still be relevant and you know one of the things that clients always say to me is like I built a wardrobe around your collection and because they can add to it every season and it doesn't become obsolete after one season which is a lot of the fashion collections do you know you're in you're out this is this trend is in this trend is out and I mean, for me, I just like building a wardrobe. And, you know, nobody can buy a whole collection every season. So if you make it sustainable in the way that people can add every season a piece and not feel like they've bought something wrong and it's disposable. Well, right. And if it's not a piece that can take you into the next season, it sort of defeats, or into the next year, it sort of defeats the purpose of of creating sustainable garments if it's something that's only going to last for a year even if it's made of the most sustainable materials but you just want nothing to do with it because it's suddenly out of fashion then who cares because you've only worn it for a year there are so many brands that are now recognizing that it's important to talk about sustainability you know there was a, an article back in the fall of 2019 in the business of fashion and the piece was called titled How Sustainability Became Fashion's New Battleground. I mean, suddenly it felt like every designer and every brand was sort of stepping up to the plate and wanted to talk about sustainability, whether or not they were actually doing the work. And, you know, that was pre-pandemic. And I think the conversation around the fashions in the fashion industry's impact on the planet was really starting to heat up. I'm curious if there's things that you've seen that are, are hopeful as we're moving in that direction or how you help your own customers kind of navigate this? I mean, I think already the fact that there's been so much press about it. I mean, I remember two years ago, I won the Fashion Group International Sustainability Award, which was a new thing the year before Caring had won it. 
So all of a sudden for those award shows, fashion to be aware, I mean, the CFDA also has a sustainability award. Uh, this is also creating awareness. And I think for the new generation, the fact that they can start from a better place, knowing all this, whereas when I started, you know, I was like the odd one out. And there's also a lot of new development into textiles and leathers like mushroom leather and pineapple leather and you know all these things that were not available like uh, 23 years ago when I started you know yeah there's quite an appetite for innovation it feels like yes and I think you know the thing with fashion is that what I realize is that you know fashion people need to hang out with the science nerds because they're the ones that know where it's at Going to a, you know, cradle to cradle conference like a few years ago, um, there was already, you know, people making fabric out of CO2 emissions. So there's all this technology that's coming down the pipeline. And, you know, it hasn't been, how do you say, um, it's been hard for them to upscale it up for production. But there's a lot of ideas, uh, you know, like with whether it was the mushroom leather five years ago that now has become a reality. There's all these things that are slowly but surely coming into play. And, you know, like I said, I love myself a nerd because, you know, they know what's going on. No, it's true that intersectional um, interaction is so important if we're going to actually be able to develop things that can scale and can solve some of the challenges that the fashion industry is facing. I mean, I love breaking down those silos and bringing unexpected people together because I I think they're, you know, scientists can be creative and creatives can be scientific and they can really benefit from each other. Yeah, no, I think that's so great. You know, when I went to school, art school in England, what was amazing is that what they said to me all the time is like, don't mix with fashion people, mix with the artists, mix with the engineers, with the graphic designers. Do not mix. I mean, it's boring to mix with just fashion people. You know, broaden your horizons, be influenced by other things. And I think that's a really good thing to sort of say to kids right now. There's so much going on out there. You know, I don't get inspired out of looking at fashion magazines. I get inspired more internally or reading a magazine about science or the planet or, you know, National Geographic. And I think that's the thing is about broadening your your eye, your scope and your knowledge, not to be just about dressmaking. I think that's a really great lesson for anybody in any field, in any industry, is to sort of keep an open mind and be always willing to learn. There's always something fascinating you can learn and to always have that curiosity, I think is, I mean, what's the point of life if you can't always be learning new things and be curious? I mean, that's the thing. It's like with me, the more I learn, the less I know. And I feel like really ignorant because I feel there's so much out there. And the more you read, the less you know, because there's just so much and And I think that's what's inspiring, the discovery. I totally agree. You mentioned the CFDA, and for our listeners who may not be familiar, that is the Council of Fashion Designers of America, and you're actually a founding member of the Sustainability Committee. Can you talk about your work with that group and perhaps your hopes for some emerging designers? You know, I'm on the board of the CFDA. I think there's lots of things that are going on right now with the CFDA. We're really trying to explore like every part of sustainability. And I'm part of the the problem has been is that fashion is very wasteful and it also wasn't very inclusive. So part of sustainability right now is also making a big effort on the social side of things and economic things with, you know, empowering like the new generation 
and providing, you know, mentorship and scholarships for people who wouldn't usually get them, wouldn't have an in on that world. And I think that is great that it's finally happening. Well, and in an industry like fashion, where I would think you would want such a diversity of creative perspectives, it feels like this should be happening naturally, because why wouldn't you want more creativity in the mix? Um, Yeah, and I think that's the sad thing, you know, in, in Europe, it's a lot more diverse, because, you know, like I always said, I got a job, if I ever got a job or got into school because of my portfolio, it wasn't because who my father was or how much I could afford to pay for school. It was purely based on talent. So, you know, it's no longer like that so much in Europe, but it used to be like that. And I think in America, it's very much based on money, which is sad because it eliminates a lot of talent from the, you know, creative people from the mix. How do you think, I mean, not to put you on the spot, but what, what do you think we can do better? Like, what are solutions to make sure that we are being more inclusive? You know, it obviously, there's a huge discussion around universities and the cost of universities and the access and all of that, that I don't think we'll solve today on this podcast. But I would love to hear, you know, what is being talked about in the industry to ensure that there is greater access for people? Or how do you think about opening up that opportunity to people who may not otherwise have it? Well, in the CFDA, for sure, you know, there's, um, there's been a lot of talk about mentoring and also scholarships going to like smaller minorities. Um, I, I ideally would love for us to have free schools, you know, based on talent. I mean, in my dreams, I would love that, you know, you get access to education based on your results, on talent, not on money, not fee based or at least the people who can't afford the fees would get more scholarships would be available. But that's in a very idealistic world, which I know is not going to happen. But Well, I, I think, yeah, maybe dreaming can manifest some of this. And I think there's there's a lot of people like you who who feel similarly, myself included, where, you know, certainly I think it would make for a far more interesting world if we could have more people included in these conversations and in these industries. Um, and we shouldn't be so scared to open it up to to everyone. Uh, you know, the last year has obviously been incredibly challenging on so many levels for people. Um, what have you had to do to sort of navigate everything going on because of the pandemic? It's been, it's been like a crazy year. I mean, I remember last year at this time I was sick with COVID. I got it early oh, wow. in the beginning and so did my business partner and our financial officer. And I remember um, coming out of it, you know, in the middle of it all, trying to figure out how we're going to survive. We got shut down. We're an independent company. We're totally self-financed. So we're only as good as what we sell. So all of a sudden everything's shutting down. And you know, it was really scary and figuring out how we're going to keep going. The collection's been reduced to a much smaller version of itself. Um, the first collection, which is in the stores right now, um, literally is half of it is totally upcycled. We minimized the fabrics. We used all stock. Um, uh, mainly people are responding to the more casual part of the collection, but also the better price part of the collection we were just putting out fires every day and trying to figure out how we were going to keep going when like half of our business just disappeared 
all the big stores pulled out. You know, we had orders for winter and they just pulled out. Those early days felt like whiplash. I think about it all the time. It's like you, you think you just got over solving one thing and then something else hits you in the face and it's like, okay, a new crisis situation to manage. Yeah, I mean, it was literally it just putting up fires, to be honest. It, and there's three collections that basically didn't see the light of day. The stores are pretty much empty. Even now it sits pretty empty and we're doing most of our transactions online. And how... Do, you know, how do we keep going? And to be quite honest, if it hadn't been for the round of PPP loans, we wouldn't have got, kept going. And, you know, I remember thinking in May, God, we're going out of business. <laughs> I do wonder if because the last year has forced us to make do, you know, with less, if that has been a good lesson or if that is going to influence the way some other brands in the industry start to create and develop and produce um, when they have to. Now it's like you're being a conservationist out of necessity, not necessarily because you are trying to save the planet, but because now you're recognizing that this is all you've got to work with. And um, I- I'm curious if you if you think that that will be a something we'll see that will live on beyond I hope so. The pandemic. I hope so, because I think, you know, people realize uh, by reducing the collections and, you know, actually designing things that really matter, you know, it takes a lot of busy work away and just focusing on the things that are really working within the collection. I think everybody's become much more focused. There's no dilly dally. Do you know what I mean? Of course, we all have to dream, but there's also like a very sharp focus on what, you know, like with us, what works within the collection, what people are responding to. There's, you know, people were not buying evening wear, so we, we didn't make an evening wear. We focus on the more casual, more real part of the collection, which is much more in tune with the original DNA brand, you know, which I started way back in 98, uh, which was much more about clothes that you wanted to wear every day. They weren't for special occasions. They were things that you wanted to live in that were interestingly designed, so... What are you what are you working on now that has you excited and, and how are you staying creative in this time? Uh, well, we already started working on next spring summer and staying creative is you know it's is trying to daydream a little bit and you know I'm always my own worst client and also desire, you know, it's like I'm you know, I'm getting older and I'm single, I'm 58, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to be invisible. Um, I don't want to, I don't believe in like these overtly sexy clothes, but I want something more sensual. I want something that makes me feel good about myself. So, you know, it's an ongoing conversation. And the idea of, you know, like new beginnings and, you know, spring, summer, last, the one that's in the store right now was about bringing joy because it felt so dark and I really wanted it to feel joyous which is sort of doing in the store and also a note to the fact that New York is so resilient and so inspiring its diversity you know I I feel that right now as we're starting to get a little bit of the warmer weather it feels like there's this renewed optimism of and particularly in New York I think you're right, New York as a city is is one that is constantly evolving and constantly having to reinvent itself and recreate itself and regenerate. And I think there's such energy 
behind bringing New York back in a really, in an, in a new way, in a way that hopefully serves its residents even you know much better than it did before. I, that's at least my hope for this city. Is you know we we love New York for so many reasons, but I, I also hope that we become. A, a city that is more accessible to a wider group of people as we kind of move into the other side of this pandemic. And I feel like that's the energy right now that I'm really trying to capture and it's kind of keeping me going. Yes, I think, you know, especially after the whole of last summer and all the Black Lives Matter protests and there was such an energy in the city and the fact that so many stores closed down, big stores, you know, like chains, and mm-hmm. that the artists reclaimed the, you know, the ply boards, that the stores were shut in and, you know, there was so much art going on. And it's sort of a lot of empty spaces, but at the same time, it means that the rents have come down. Certain people have been allowed to come back in the city now because the things are more affordable. So there, there has been some positive shifts in the last year. I, I totally agree. You have two children. What have you taught your children about? sustainability, environmentalism, how have you sort of passed that down to them? I mean, I can only say it's not like I sit there telling them things. I literally, I, I hope I lead by example. Well, and that's the best way. I mean, actions are far more powerful than words when it comes to these things. We can say all the things we want, but if we're not actually doing the actions to make change. I even say, you know, it's not enough to say to somebody like you love them. I said, you know, you, it's like, cheap words at the end of the day show me love is shown in the acts and you know love your planet love your family love your environment it's about taking care of having empathy for everything around you yeah well the name of this podcast is enough so I have to ask the question of what have you had enough of in the last year and we kind of use the duality of that word. It's like, what if, what do we have enough of? And what have you just I have, had I enough have of? enough. I mean, I love my plants. I love being home. Um, so on the, on the plus side, I'm very happy with that. My son's home. He's living with me. And it's sort of given us a chance to reconnect after he was away at college for four years. Uh, on the positive side, enough as in I've had enough of. I think the isolation... I think everybody's becoming to the end of it now, and I think everybody just feels quite isolated. And I think that's what I've had enough of. I'm right there with you. <laughs> we're, we're all hitting that wall real fast. <laughs> I think so. I think it's harder this March than it was last year, because last year we didn't really know what was coming. So in a weird way, ignorance is bliss. Whereas now we've had a year of this and people are worn out. I think we're all worn out with trying to figure things out. And yeah, I think it's just a new normal. And uh, with it comes a big appreciation of all the freedoms that we used to have. And then also a big appreciation of there's been some great quiet times. And I think everybody's had time to reflect and that has been really positive. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the renaissance of this city and also, you know, once it's safe to be able to go other places and see how we've, you know, overcome, but also, you know, what are the what are the new ways that we are learning to live with each other and to be inclusive of each other? I, I like the optimist in me is looking forward and hoping to see some of that change in action. Yes, I think people are literally already beginning to sort of come out of 
you know, of the dark of the tunnel, and I think you, you sort of feel it in the city slowly but surely, a sense of renewal again. I just want everybody to be gentle with everybody. I totally agree. Well, I, I so appreciate your time, Maria. It's been so lovely chatting with you. Thank you. After listening to that conversation, I mean, she's just so remarkable. I feel like a Maria Conejo piece is the next thing I want to invest in after my Busayo purchase. So those will be the two garments that I wear as my post-pandemic self. And I love how, you know, part of what she's creating for is the woman at any age. She wants any woman of any age to feel sensual and to just feel good about the clothes that they're wearing, which I think goes hand in hand with that idea of creating for longevity and creating these pieces that last a lifetime and that will ultimately be vintage pieces in your own wardrobe. You know, I think about things that some of us probably wore in our teens or 20s that were probably pretty bad decisions, but you know, you make those spur of the moment choices that I would never revisit now. But then there are those pieces that we've had for for decades that we continue to go back to because we find new ways to wear them and they just make us feel good every time we put them on. I love the honesty of the conversations where people share how hard this year was. And I don't mean like in the oversharing Instagram kind of way where it's about every detail, but like that it wasn't easy to get through the last year as a business because I think so many people are about the optics of like oh we've got this and you know we're totally together but I think actually pulling back the curtain and revealing the work that goes into changing shifting adapting is so valuable for people especially other aspiring designers who are figuring out their own business models which I hope they're inspired by not fast fashion or the constant turnover cycle but something new that is about creating something beautiful that will last for a lifetime. And also, I mean, Melody, you and I think about this a lot and it was the idea of creating enough, but who are the artisans that we want to exist in the world? Who are the people that are solving for problems? Who are local individuals that we can support because they make a city interesting and a state and then a country? And it's just this beautiful fabric that I think has us also wanting to be out in the world so badly again. And those are the people that we've missed the most in this time. Those are the people that bring vibrancy to our neighborhoods who we remember because we have a personal relationship with the person who owns the small boutique shop at the end of our street, who we talk to every time we go in there, who we have that personal connection to and who we've really missed in this time and wanted to support in this time. So I hope that we all remember that as things start to open up more safely, that these are the the businesses and the individuals and the artists who we want to support moving forward. Enough is a podcast from Number 29 and Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Aaron Kelly. Pineapple Street Studios executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Original composition by Hannes Brown. For more information on Maria, Busayo, and Number 29, check out the links in our show notes.